Please hold the line. We will answer your call as soon as possible. Today, my guest on Please Hold is Ricardo Sabatini. Ricardo is the co-founder of Oriones. They are customizing drugs based on the human genome, which sounds fascinating. And Indeed. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Thank Excited you. to be here. Yeah. Biggest fan of Michael, biggest fan of everything he's doing, so oh. I couldn't say no. Thank you. That's so Pleasure. kind of you. We'll talk about how much money we've saved you in hours in a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. Guest service now, today. I'm biggest <laughs> testimonial ever. <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to first talk to you about uh, your education because yeah. you're seriously one of the most educated people I've ever met. Oh, no. Thank uh, you. you have a Bachelor of Physics, a Master of Theoretical Physics, a Master in Economics, yeah. and a PhD in Matter Theory and Simulation. Indeed. Did I miss anything? Well, yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of other things after, but yeah, basically is a standard track for, for becoming a scientist. That's a standard track? It's well, That's a lot of education. Yeah, it's a lot of education. Yes, uh, I've been probably let's say 20 years all in all in education, or a little more, 24. Yeah. So vast majority of my life I spent studying and, and doing... Were you studying learning. that long because you weren't sure which path you wanted to take? No, I changed many times. So when I, was, okay. uh, when I was 21, I was fed up, I got fed up of the entire academic track. I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. So I step out, I opened my first company, and that was, uh, that was a nice thing. I sold it very fast in one year. I thought I did an amazing deal. I would have done much better if I would have waited or been consulted better, but that was great. But uh, still, uh, I understood that the only way you can make very big impact or, or first also leverage and, and get access to bigger capitals, larger challenges, the way you reach uh, breakthroughs in private companies, uh, for me, is very much based on scientific knowledge. And mm -hmm. that's what I do. I do deep tech projects, and uh, that means uh, nanotechnology or biotech. And while there is an approach and, a, and this feeling of the dropout kids uh, that, that open up companies at uh, super early stage, which are super successful, in this field, uh, you actually need a lot of time to understand and, and learn. So it's something that you start to, uh, you start to get comfortable at between uh, 25, 30 years old, after a PhD, you learn and understand a little bit what to do. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a little different track than the usual startup life. Yeah. But everyone doing deep tech. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question about the term machine learning. Yeah. Because today when you say machine learning, a lot of people think a bot, yeah. maybe a self-driving car. Yeah. They don't yeah. really think the human genome. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, um, <coughs> many scientists go through their career and it's more traditional yeah. approach. Yeah. What gave you the insight to combine computers yeah. and science in the way you did? Yeah. So when I, was, when I was in Swiss, I was doing, um, uh, so I collaborated to, to build a very large open source software for doing uh, simulation of the quantum mechanical level of matters. Now, without being too nerd, it's a software where you define and design a nanostructure, a molecule, and you solve a very computationally intense equation, the Schrodinger equation. So at the end, the software spits out a property, something that you like, whatever is the strain tensor or electrical property of the material. So you can design atom by atom something, you run the software, and it gives you the result. Now, the problem is that to run this software for materials that are <coughs> interesting, you need thousands of hours on thousands of cores. So it's called supercomputers. You have this gigantic football field, large uh, footprints where you have um, a million cores. 
and you run over a fraction of that, thousands and thousands of CPUs all together for thousands of hours sometimes. This reminds me of the old days, like 40 years ago, yeah. where 20 megabytes would be in a whole Indeed. room. So that today we solve numerically uh, very large, very large problems on these gigantic machines. They're much, much pow more powerful than the past, but they're still enormously bulky. So when I saw, the first time I saw machine learning uh, was basically when after running a thousand, thousand of the simulation where we had a molecule and the data that we wanted, the molecule, the band gap, a molecule, the band gap. We started to do a model that was trying to predict the band gap, learning from this database that we built. And the model converged incredibly fast. And at one point we could feed the model with a new molecule that we never seen before. And we could get a band gap in fractions of a second mm. instead of millions of hours of a supercomputer. So the moment the machine learned how to map molecules and band gap in that case, it was instantaneous. And then when I saw that there was a way to crack the hardest computational challenges, it was probably be having a hybrid approach of machine learning standard computation. And genomics, thanks, thanks to people that sequenced that, thanks to Craig at the beginning of year 2000, became a numerical problem. It's a large language, it's a super complicated language, very tricky to understand. We are still diving in and, and, and getting exactly all the various rules and features. But the idea is uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful field to try to do machine learning. So to try to see if we can teach a machine to find patterns uh, and being smarter than what we can do with other technologies and other projects. How would you compare the complexity of the DNA to another language, to Java, to, yeah. to some other computer language? So, as, as every single theoretical physicist, so it's a joke, but probably it's not. So I approach biology being uh, the most stubborn man possible. I, I did quantum mechanics. Biology is going to be a game. Okay? I just apply an equation. Biology is the most complicated thing you would ever believe. It's wet, it's alive, it's, uh, it's incredibly dynamic. It, it, it cooperates with the environment. Everything that, you, everything that you understand has a million and other nuances, and it changes while you're actually operating on it. So it's almost uh, if you have uh, the hardest language that you can think of, maybe assembler or, or, or C++, very flexible, but liquid. So the moment you write something, uh, it almost works, uh, but the day after, not really. And you have this probabilistic approach where the same software that you wrote uh, sometimes spits the right number, sometimes spits the wrong number. And uh, so yeah, more than a language, uh, I think biology is a, is a great engine, and we are understanding now how to feed him and how to drive him intentionally in places that we want, but it's incredibly complicated. Why does this matter? What are the practical applications of using machine yeah. learning to map the human genome? Yeah, well, first of all, I think uh, that there is, there is one, one part uh, which always uh, surprised me when I think about it. So we are very similar to each other. Uh, I did this TED talk where I printed out the books uh, of the genome and each of us shared the vast majority of it, okay? But we differ in, uh, let's say, between three to five million letters, over three billion, so a small fraction. That's what makes me, me, and you, you. Vast majority of it is identical. So less than 1%. Yeah, and in that little fraction, 
we can start to understand uh, how we can tailor, how we can uh, address, and how uh, we can make uh, smarter molecules and therapeutics that work very well for you. So the, the, first, uh, the first sprint of medicine, uh, and uh, it was uh, considering human being all identical, okay? without even sometimes difference in gender. Then little by little we understood and we started to, to be more precise. The goal of genomics is doing N equal one therapeutics, so therapeutics that are fundamentally designed. For it's you. perfectly yeah. customized to you. Just for you. Yeah. So this is a long-term goal. It will happen with many years. It's hard to forecast, but everyone in the field wants to do it. And so with machine learning, we're trying to understand how we can predict and how we can, how we can map very small differences that sometimes we've never seen in a way that are unique to you and how we can leverage those differences and, those, and this knowledge to address this better. And there are some things that are already starting. So it's, uh, it's helping to move medicine on a personalized level. So this is going to look like the Stone Age, right? Like, oh, you have cancer. I'm going to yeah. give you and yeah. him and him and him all chemotherapy. Yeah. It's so, barbaric, yeah. right? Well, it's the best thing that we have. So, and, and, there yes. are the, and there are the best people working on it. And, and believe me, but the, the, the option of not having it is, is, is much worse. Sure. So that's the best technology that we have now. But like you said, it's one thing applied to male, female, is, yeah, doesn't matter who ma you are. There are now drugs are divided by gender, most of them, but is, yeah, there is a one therapeutic that pass uh, and, is, and is used across the board. And again, it's great. There are all the approvals, uh, is the most solid process, and we should be incredibly happy of having an FDA that is so picky because delivering a drug, you really need to check that this drug is working on a large population. But then the next chapter will be learning how to do them even more personalized. I have this, this expression or this joke that we, we, between friends is the next generation, so we looked at how we are doing medicine today, being in shock of the fact that we were going to a doctor and we were getting any pill without being matched to us. So it will be a Cambrian revolution where it will be so obvious when we get there mm -hmm. that we will look at the past laughing at, the, at us or saying, how did you survive? Yeah. But still, the technology we have now is the best technology we get. We are moving forward a much more personalized thing. And that's the goal. And that's where machine learning and numbers can help. You gave a presentation once that I attended where yeah. you took some DNA and you showed with incredibly high accuracy what someone probably looks like. Yeah which I found to be yeah. totally fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you think there's a downside there. I mean, do we get to the point where uh, parents map the likely face of their fetus yeah. no, and they're no. like, oh, I don't really like the way that looks, no, abort? No. Like, no. like, what is the downside yeah. to this technology? So, no, the, the, paper, the, the work that we did was, uh, was exciting because the face is a complex trait, but every time I stress the fact that it's not as precise as it looks, is the wow effect but is is an approximation so we get close to the structure we use a but you compared it to people i mean it's pretty close no but i mean we are we are coming up with a paper now and and you'll see there are there are tons of nuances okay and, and so it's not as precise i constantly i constantly try to help people to, to not get fooled by the first wow effect okay but um no i don't think i don't think there would be there will be much applications in uh, engineering or choosing or stuff. But the one thing in general is we will have access to predictive, uh, um, say, to, a, to a, a set of information 
about how people will be in the future. And the most interesting ones are, are therapeutics or disease ones. Okay? Okay. So you might get information that are very important in planning your family on way more, let's say, complicated situations, and those are already happening. The aesthetic ones, I don't think, I don't think will happen. But that's a question I receive all the freaking time. Yeah, yeah but it's, I'm it's, sure. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a question no, of ex ethics normal, and morality. Uh, there was there was a, there was also a TV show that that used it, uh, and they quoted me there. Uh, the Ricardo Sabatini. I was a. Uh, it was not He's NCIS, designing babies. Yeah, not NCIS <laughs> or something. No, that was solving a crime uh, case uh, yeah. with this technology. And and that that pro probably something that could happen. It could be a support for for forensic operations. Mm. And that's what we did. But all the other selecting designing babies. So at the risk of getting too political right yeah. now, um, obviously the country's having a major debate <coughs> right now, oh, yeah. replacing Obamacare with something else, yeah. and there's all this stuff going on. And one of the promises of healthcare reform for years has been yeah. technology is going to bring costs down. Yeah. And it hasn't really happened yeah. yet. Um, is personalized medicine, when we get there, cheaper? So there is, an, there is an interesting curve that people always quote in Silicon Valley. It's called the, the, the Moore's Law. Mm -hmm. How CPUs got faster. Gordon Moore, the better. founder of Intel. Yeah. yeah. So you, you flip the name, and in the pharma industry, there is the Aroms Law, so, which is uh, the number, let's say, the number of drugs that you can put on the market uh, with a billion dollars. Okay? It's an exponentially decaying curve. It means uh, 20 years ago, there were about uh, 10. Uh, Five years ago, it was about one. Today, it's about 0 0.3. It means uh, it costs on average $3 billion For one drug. to put one drug on the market. Wow. Okay? So the cost of, the, of that development is incredible. Is because that because all of the easy, easier problems yeah, have been there, solved? Yeah, there are the easy molecules. We got them faster. Then it's harder and harder. The disease that we're challenging are way more complicated than the one that we started. Many different, many different things. And that's what I'm working on, making this process better and de-risking this process. But that is the cost on, 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 a, on, a, on a therapeutic. The fact that, and the prices and how the drug gets to the market, that's a word that I, I it's a complicated word that I'm learning now. Uh, there are many different reasons. I, I, I don't know exactly. Does what it get more my, expensive if it's personalized? No, it does, I don't think it gets more expensive. But uh, so we need to find a way for to be smart uh, in doing both uh, drugs. Um, let's say not necessarily cheaper, but we need to find a way to make drugs safer. Okay, if we can design drugs uh, even for a single person or for an ethical subset or for the general population. In a, with with a, the ability to predict potential of targets and potential secondary effects early, then uh, the regulator might feel uh, comfortable giving uh, shorter uh, clinical trials or having less, uh, let's say, tests because we designed them in a different way. And that's my and that's my goal. Isn't giving a platform to design drugs uh, in a much smarter way so that in the future, I think it can get easier and faster and cheaper. It's another way of saying that the drug either doesn't hurt you or it really helps you, but yeah. it doesn't really hurt so there, you. Yeah, so the, the secondary effects are, are kind of an interesting story. There is, there is a, a clear example that, that you would remember forever. So once a, a pharma company try, start a clinical trial for uh, angina, which is a disease, uh, an art, uh, cardiovascular problem. 
So they design a molecule, they do the clinical trial, the efficacy is not amazing. They check the reports of the secondary effects, and every male is reporting long-lasting erectile activity, welcoming Viagra. Viagra was, an air, was, was a complete different effect wow. coming out of a drug that was designed for your heart, let's put it in this way, and it was having a completely different effect on your body. Hmm. That's a good story. <laughs> vast majority of the drugs are designed for, for a specific effect, but they also interact with other parts of your body, giving strong secondary effects. And that is because we have little visibility on the entire genome and the entire proteome, and that's, and that's what I'm working on. If we can try to predict and see every possible hit that this molecule has in your body, then we can design accordingly, removing and switching off the, un, the unwanted effects mm. and making it more selective. So that's what you mean by customization based on that's the genome? What, that's what I mean by, custom, by designing drugs over the genome. Yeah. Okay? And then in the next evolution, we can probably design a drug over your genome. So making it even more precise or against your cancer. So you go to the doctor and the first step is giving part of your DNA oh, to... That, that should be, I think in five, five or ten years, everyone. In five or ten years, will everyone have a personalized drug for their genome? No, they, they will have, you will have a genome for sure. And then, for example, you go online and you check uh, the FDA page. There are already a list of pharmaceuticals for which are known interactions if you have a specific mutation in your DNA. It's there. So the only problem is that not many people you don't know your DNA. genome. You don't know your <laughs> DNA. You don't know what mutation you have. Yeah. Statins are a clear example. And, uh, and statins have a different effect depending uh, on specific mutation. I think uh, it's a common thing, like 30% of the people have a different reaction to statins. So first, we have to sequence people and, and make accessible, safe and secure the DNA information sharing uh, and making accessible to doctors in a smart way. Then when we have this information layer done, then we can build on top uh, personalized uh, recommendations, personalized prescriptions, and then personalized drugs. What do you think the future, long-term future is? Do people have to get sick? Like, if you can perfectly map any drug to that person's exact makeup, yeah. then do you bring up the effectiveness of drugs close to 100%? Yeah, so what I hope, well, maybe 100% 100% is hard, because biology is always, yeah, it's always tricky. What we want is trying to make, uh, trying to remove or reduce the secondary effect in a rational way, so having rational design abilities, then I don't know where, where we get. And that's a problem in general with uh, biology, is that it's, a, it's alive. So we will adapt, and then uh, for even drugs that works phenomenally good, you build resistance. Your body changes. While you get the molecule, mm. you build completely different. So, it's always it's so a, complex. It's a dynamic system that is never stopping. And so I, I think we will, we will have to manage health from forever, in a way. And the only thing that we're not silicon-based, we're not uh, transistor-based. Transistors are more deterministic. They don't change their topology while they're alive. Yep. You change yourself every single day, cells and stuff. And every year, you are completely different tissues. You generate stuff. That's pretty, pretty impressive machines. Huh? And so I think we will, uh, we will have to deal with health for a while. You went through Singularity University. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, Ray Kurzweil, one of the <coughs> founders, uh, constantly says that humans, in theory, can live forever because you yeah. just replace the parts that break with mechanical parts and your yeah. brain eventually becomes AI and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Do you agree? Well, 
So I had, I had uh, interesting chats with Ray all the time. I am, uh, I'm not a futurist, and so I am never very comfortable giving very long-term forecast in a way. So that's his job, he does it great. I'm not particularly, particularly convinced on, on some of the details, but as a concept, uh, I, I believe that we are going to get close to extending life significantly. I believe we are going to extend life by probably two, three times. So having a, maybe a biological life of a couple of hundred years can happen. I don't know when it will happen. The one thing that you want, though, is extending life um, with, a, with a good quality of it. Mm -hmm. okay? And uh, the other thing that you want uh, is making sure that is happening in a democratic way. So the distribution of, uh, of uh, access to technologies is very skewed around the world. And so rich people live for hundreds of years and yeah, poor that, people that, don't. That is, something, that is something that we have to take care of a lot because uh, we, are, we really are humans on, on, on a large rocket ship in the middle of space uh, and we have to cooperate to make uh, our species survive and strive and better. So not just a subset of the population. So I think uh, the f if I would like to, to focus on something, I would like to focus on, on the ability to transfer technologies and make them accessible across the globe. That's one of the things. I believe we should dream this kind of stuff first. When we reach these dreams and when we are sure that we can distribute this technology in an in a easier way around, then we can start to dream all together to get longer and healthier. So you want to reduce the disparity first. Yeah, I mean, at least, then at least I would like to have... it improves for everybody. Yeah, at least, it, I mean, we are free to dream whatever we want, right? Of course. So <laughs> it, we should have good dreams, yeah. and we should have good wishes, and we should have good goals. And so having a goal of living 300 years is an amazing thing, as long as it comes after everyone living 90 years, okay? When we live, everyone lives 90 years, and we manage to, be, to work and cooperate as a society, then we can address the next dream, 300 years. Because when we live 300 years, we're still on the same planet. And the resources are fixed. So unless we learn how to cooperate and how to be humanity altogether, it will be hard to have a sustainable place where everyone lives or where a fraction of people lives 500 years or 300 years. So to be able to change biology and to push biology of humanity forward, we need to have a consensus and a shared humanity platform. And that's what I want to dream first. When we get there, super happy to dream the 500 years. Tell me what Oriones is going to do. So what we do is we manage to, to express, uh, let's say your genome is a, is a toolbox, it's the instruction manual of your body. There are lots of pieces that are called genes. These genes encode protein. Protists assemble together, and, and then you have cells and tissues, and that's it. So proteins are kind of the API of your body. They take objects, they chew sugar, they drag oxygen. They have lots of operations. And this cooperation of proteins is your metabolism. Is your... When you design a drug, you basically want to ping one API and make him do an action or stop an action. Okay? So you design a small molecule, you send it over, and this small molecule gets through the body and docks on a protein, okay? and does the specific function. The problem is that when you design this molecule, it goes around all your body, and so sometimes it hits other stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're discussing after. 
So what we managed, we managed to actually build every single protein in a human cell in a large asset. So we have all the possible proteins that a genome has. We can take the molecule and check if it's pushing or if it's touching each protein. So you get the entire expression, how all your genome responds to that molecule. You can do it for everything, natural products, known drugs, field drugs. And that will allow us to see, ah, that was the Angina API, but I'm hitting as well the other API that gives you in blood, intake blood in mm -hmm. your muscles in the penis. We're gonna see if there is a toxic effect, if there, and that's, we're gonna have the map. So what we want to do is we want to rescreen every single drug, all the known ones, all the failed ones, natural products, map them over genome, and when we will have this matrix, it will be the conversion between the world of chemistry and the world of biology. Is that database going to be essential for any drug company in the future that wants to take advantage I of it? Think, I would think it will be Is that the goal? a fundamental breakthrough. It will be, let's say, it will be nothing will, no one will ever design a drug without considering the full genome interaction. Yeah. So it will be a moment in time where everyone, it, it will look foolish not to do it. Yeah. So we are trying to release uh, in a couple of years this large matrix. We are starting in the next month, so we are scaling up everything. And, and every time we chat with uh, big players, they are super excited. They see the potential, which is not easy because small company going to big giants uh, is typically a very that's very typical of a startup. Yeah, <laughs> but but it comes it comes with a with a lot of uh, pain. Instead, doors were open. Uh, they, the pharma companies are, are eager to, to find ways to make uh, drugs better and safer. They are so strong missions. So that is a technology that can help them to do better. We are very excited. The only thing is, uh, we are started in the East Coast, which is a little cool. Are you moving? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm in Boston now. We're sitting here in Los Angeles. I know, I know. It's a beautiful 80 degree winter day. Sir, uh, <laughs> you're here killing me. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I There's feel. a donut in the pool. I know, and uh, I we have to get rid of that object, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, LA, LA is, where, is where I feel, where my, where my heart beats and, and when I feel the best, uh, is, is that Boston, uh, things happen and we started, uh, and when you have velocity and speeds uh, and you're on a good strike, uh, it's foolish to stop. Sure. And so when you're when when everything is happening and you see that that everything is taking place, uh, yeah, you have to you have to take one for the team and buy a jacket, a freaking hat, going through the snow and minus five Fahrenheit while you're scrolling your Facebook page and everyone is in a bikini going in Malibu and feeling amazing and. Uh, you still believe that you did the right choice, but this is a kind of a bad advice. You need a new outfit. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. Uh, um, last question. You're one of our most passionate customers. You get oh. excited about service. What have we been able to do for you? No, I mean, guys. I, so they, I guess everyone knows your company, but let me give a two-minute pitch. I always had the most painful experiences. I travel a lot as every entrepreneur. We are all the time in the plane. We are all the time accessing services. And, and when you travel, the more you travel, the more you end up in funky cases, uh, or even if you are a loyal customers, you end up in a tricky thing. The pain of writing and understanding how to write a complaint and get it, it's impossible. You drop it and, and, and you don't have time. Service, I have Adam, which is my guy. 
Adam, I had a plane, sorry, but I, they, 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 they killed the connection or a six hour delay. Don't worry. The last, the last thing, he managed to write the British for two months, every single week. And we got a full refund for an international ticket, two months. British Airways. Yeah. Okay. They're an, a tough customer. He's an angel. <laughs> no one, no company should exist. Uh, I mean, I, it's, I'm amazed that this very service, uh, man, you will be buy out very soon because <laughs> because you you, I will not think of anything else than than, than get service. So that's the best thing ever to to have any complaint. You will make I think company pissed because, I, I guess that they will see much more refund coming out of their pocket because there are people taking care. But for the customer, well, now you're a happy customer. That's the goal. Oh, no, happy customer I have my Adam Ninja <laughs> super happy use it inscribe biggest customer thank you sir it's great to talk to you today Thanks, thank man. you pleasure to be here bye did you like what you just saw you want to see more go ahead and subscribe we have new episodes every Tuesday and if there's someone you want to see on the show just add them as a comment down below we'll take a look and we'll have them on if we can thanks again